you put someone in a culture that doesn't know how to include them, has not checked their own bias about how they might be presenting, hasn't put things in place, you're going to lose that person nowadays so much faster than a year, right? We all used to have to stick out a year. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. This is your host, Jeff Tun. I can't tell you how excited I am for our conversation today. We're returning to one of our recurring themes women in the workplace, more specifically, women in tech. Now, guys, before you tune us out, don't. You are going to want to listen to our guest today. Her message is as much for you as it is for the women in our audience, maybe even more so. Today's guest is Erica Ballard. Erica is an author, a speaker, a consultant, a trainer, and a lover of data. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this conversation. Me too. I I, uh, I know you and I have been connected for a couple of years on LinkedIn. We've never had a chance to meet face-to-face and never really even had a chance to have a conversation until just a couple of weeks ago. So I'm excited to really dive in. Same. Why don't, why don't we start, give, uh, give our listeners uh, an idea of your background, your journey, what brought you to where you are today? Yes, it is. It was a windy path, so bear with me. <laughs> uh, so for me, I spent most of my career in health and public health, and so I spent ten years, um, ten years in the public health sector, from anywhere from HIV/AIDS to cardiovascular disease. Getting my master's from Tufts Medical, published there, etc., and ended up being really let down by the public health industry, particularly with regards to how to get the individual healthy. And so left on my own to start my own health and wellness um, practice and did that for four years. And then I had the pleasure of uh, getting pregnant with my daughter, Isabel. And while pregnant, just really, I say birth the baby and a business at the exact same time. And when I was really thinking about what do I want to do, where I'm going to be, this inspiration hit. And what came from it was this um, this idea for the company called Retain Her, which is, provides data insights to companies to help them retain and promote women. And really, it seems like a drastic jump for a lot of people. Like, how'd you go from health and wellness and health coaching and all this to, <laughs> to an organization in this piece? But I have all my background is in data and communication and all that. And what I found with my women, I worked with very ambitious women. And when it came to their health and well-being, it wasn't the nutrition that was challenging. I can teach anyone nutrition in 90 minutes. The reason I had four to six month packages is because there was an unconscious bias and limiting beliefs they had about themselves and work almost always got in the way. Time almost always got in the way. And so this was a way to address it at a macro level instead of going from person to person to person because, I, I one, I know women want to work differently and they want to feel better and they want to do all these things. And also I firmly believe that their employer wants to treat – most employers want to treat their uh, – give their employee the best life that they can. 
And Mm -hmm. so this allows both the individual and the employer to thrive. There's so much in there that I just want to dive into. Let's start with a a little bit more about where the public health uh, system or systems, you, you described it as letting you down. What was the challenge that you were facing that you were maybe able to overcome through some of your other ventures? So to be really blunt, uh, a lot of the information that is provided to individuals on how to get healthy is wrong. So we focus a lot on medication. We focus a lot on working out. That stuff matters. And yet we rarely talk about nutrition. And when we talk about nutrition, it is very wrong. Um, it isn't a cat. It's not calories based only it's fat. Isn't bad. Um, neither is carbs by the way, but like, mm-hmm. you know, fat's not bad. We shouldn't be focusing on, uh, on calories. It's not all about calorie density. There's just so many things in there and it's not about restriction, right? It's not, don't do this. Don't do this. It's add more greens in, get more sleep. Um, and so that whole piece and the way that it was approached really bothered me because it looked at it was almost blaming almost blaming victim in that way like mm-hmm. you should be eating less you should be doing more you should be doing this and it's like wait a second our food systems are set up so that we're completely confused our food systems are set up so that unhealthiest food is the cheapest our food systems are set up so that we can't get the freshest stuff available to us and yet you're saying that it's the individual's fault uh, that they can't figure this out when like all of the systems are against them and so yeah from an individual standpoint, when going into coaching and teaching in that capacity, I was able to talk to that and also give people a solution. Um, well, one was to talk to that so they don't just blame themselves. And then two, right. provide a solution that fits into their lives. Because I always say anywhere, but like in health, this is where it started, is if you want to feel good at the end of your um, weight loss journey, it's got to mm-hmm. feel good in the process, right? You don't just magically right. show up to size four, six, or eight and are all of a sudden like, great, I will feel good forever. It's like, That's no, right. like you have to feel good in the process. Otherwise, it's impossible to continue it. And so that all, all of that mm-hmm. made me very upset and was able to write it in this piece and help, you know, a, a bunch of women and a bunch of men mm-hmm. drop weight sustainably. Like they're not, you know, they lost 40, 50, 60 pounds and it hasn't come back on. We should talk. I, I, I need your help. <laughs> so you went into this work with one-on-one coaching, working with predominantly women, but as you mentioned, men as well. Um, and what got in the way was time, I think is what you how you described it. Talk to us about that. What were you seeing in your clients and how were you able to help them navigate that a little bit? So it was time and it was unconscious bias and the reason for against themselves. So I think that's important to note because oh. the, the time, the reason that a lot of the women I worked with felt so overwhelmed is because they felt like they had to do it all. So one, there was a lack of time, right? They were working these like, no one I worked with worked 40 hours a week. They were working 50, 60, 70 mm-hmm. hour weeks, right? Um, and they're like, I don't know how to fit this in. Um, I don't know where this goes. And the reality is when you're learning new things, it's it metabolically, it takes a lot of energy from your brain. So it's not that what you're doing is hard, it's new, but we don't know the nuance behind it. So mm-hmm. there was all that going on. And then it was this idea of like, uh, well, uh, 
I got to do this and I got to do this. And I, my priorities are here and I can't put myself first. And I have these feelings. And, and then the frantic pace that I'm speaking in is the mm-hmm. frantic pace that was going on in their mind. So they didn't know how yeah. to slow down, prioritize, understand that they were allowed to go first, that they were to be a priority. Um, and it was those pieces that made it really difficult because what we typically do, I, women do, women do this, men also do this, but women, I think you see it more is like, they will kill themselves for everyone but themselves. And that is where, but they, but they won't ask for help. So you end up getting burnt out and overwhelmed and just saying, F it, I'm out Mm -hmm. before giving people who want to help you an opportunity to do so. And that I saw a lot in health. Um, And then as I started to shift into more lifestyle and life coaching, I saw that a lot with jobs as they were ready to just throw up their hands and go to the next one versus saying, Hey, what do you really want? Yeah. Is that available in the in the job that you're at? Can you talk to them? And I've had two clients that I can think of recently who were able to create their own jobs within their companies, but they didn't know that they were allowed to ask for the thing that would get them to stay. So this this dropping out, you know, because of the the pressures and getting burnt out, I read a lot about that before the pandemic. Especially, I started focusing on women in tech several years ago. Uh, I was challenged by a, a friend of mine to to really understand some of the some of the issues in you know the culture of being in tech and that. And what what you find, and you you probably know this from your work, is the percentages of women in in tech have not changed in like decades. Uh, it's around twenty twenty three percent, somewhere around there. And it's really bad as you get into the upper levels of management. And some of it, not all of it, some of it is this dropping out. When when you think about that and then think about the pandemic, what I've seen is that really impacted women. Uh, the great resignation or whatever you want to call it has really impacted women on a on a larger scale. Is that my perception or is that what you're seeing as well, Erica? Oh, it's what I'm saying. It's called a, I call it the C session, right? S-E-H-E, C session. But from a tech point, I just want, because I know we're talking with tech folks, is yeah. right now the stat is 50% of women leave before the age of 35. 50% before 35. Yeah. And so before 35, right? 35 is, <laughs> that's when you're starting to move up the, the chain. So if mm-hmm. compounded with all of the stuff that goes on unconsciously, all of this bias that exists among women, most of it unconscious, uh, some of it not, uh, but you, you drop out 50% of your force by the time they even hit 35. So how are you supposed to continue yeah, up yeah. when your people are leaving? So um, that I think is really important to hit. And then you said something, the question was, I'm coming back to it. Um, C-session. The, Got it. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yes, yeah, you yeah. are, you're totally right. So when we, when we started the pre, so pre-pandemic workforce attrition rates were the same for men and women at 15%. Now women are leaving, um, one in three women are estimated to leave or downshift their career this year. And this is problematic for employers, um, because, one retention, like cost, that's your biggest cost, right? Like mm-hmm. when people leave, that's your biggest cost. Um, and your and the training, right? Like and the training of it, the productivity loss, the it's not just money, the brain drain, the all of that mm-hmm. is lost. And what we also find too, when you look at the studies, is that when you have thirty percent of women in the C suite, you make a bunch more money. Like 
six percent yeah. annually like profit is supposed to be there and then fifty you it's fifty percent outperforms where women are actually well represented within organizations and so it, it is what we're seeing. The thing, though, I want to like drill into anyone listening. This doesn't end after the pandemic because <laughs> all of this stuff was boiling. Yeah. Talk to any woman in 2018 and 2017. They'll tell you, I want flexibility. I need remote work. Like I, I, like, I, I need to stop being the person that's always put to clean up, you know, to, to clean up for a party or do these things. They might not know yep. the latter one, but like all of this stuff has been accumulating and all of a sudden the pandemic hit and it was like, see, like, this is why I need it. And part mm -hmm. of it, you know, I hear employers when they say things like, well, I treat them equally, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is we didn't fix the home. So right. women are still doing the lion's shares of the home. So even if you are the most equitable workplace on the planet, there's still some things happening at home that have to be addressed in some capacity to support these women. And it it is your problem because mm -hmm. if you're telling me you want to make more money, if you're telling me you want to keep your people, these are some of the things that you've got, like you've got to adjust some of these things. So yeah. I, what I think and what I'm seeing is like it, in 2020, it was one in four. We're going to leave or downshift their career. Now it's one in three. We're in 2022, right? So it was like pandemic. Yeah. So we're moving out of the pandemic and more women are leaving. So if you right. think for one second that it's going to get all sorts of better <laughs> afterwards, you are wrong because the companies who are getting it are seeing it. They're doing something about it and women are gravitating towards them or, and this is what's interesting to me, they're opening up their own businesses. Yes. Yes. I think I saw a post that you made just in the last little bit on LinkedIn that had some information about the number of women that are opening their own business. Yeah. So we did a national survey in December of 2021 and we put the results out today uh, or this month rather. And we found that 20% of women and this 20% of women or around 18% of women who left their job, opened their own company. And of the women who are thinking about leaving of the 30 some percent of women who are thinking about leaving their jobs, 27% um, would go open their own business. And I think that that matters because there's a narrative right now that says women want to go home and take care of their kids. Listen, I have a child. I love her so much. If I had to spend all day with her, I I, I couldn't. Like there are women like me that exist, right? But the narrative is, oh, they can't hack it. Oh, they got to go home. Like, oh, that's where they want to be. No, the majority of women want to work. And it's not just my study. Gallup is showing that more women than ever, more women this is the only time, the first time it's happened, more women want to work outside of the home than in the home right now. So women want to work. They just need to work differently and they're unwilling to stay at places that don't get that. I love what you just said there. They want to work differently. And it, it ties back to a question that popped in my head when you were talking about what you're hearing from employers, when they say, we treat them all the same people don't want to be treated the same. What's right for me is not right for you. And sometimes that doesn't have a darn thing to do with our gender. It's just, we work differently. We have different responsibilities at home. We need different things. We're looking for different things. How do you, now I'm kind of pivoting us a little bit to your, to your current work with Retain Her. How do you work with employers to get them to 
understand that. You look inside first. It's just like individual change, right? If you want to change something, you got to go inside. I I get coached. I have therapy. I have coached, right? Like you go inside, you see what's working, what's not working. Like, why are you getting in the stall? What is the issue? And so I always say, turn the magnifying glass on yourself, run a survey and run a really good survey. Don't like people don't know how to survey evaluate. They don't know how to do evaluations. It's a big point of contention for me, which hence the company, but like look in house and see what's happening. Ask the questions that you want answered And then from there, you can decide what your workforce needs. Because to your point, one, not only do people need different things because they're different, um, but what your company is going to need to do is different too per industry. Banking is going to be different than tech. Tech is going to be different than retail. Retail is going to be different um, than auto. And so we've got to start to remember that and allow things to, to be different because that Cause it's like the idea of like, I don't see color. Yes, you do. <laughs> just like you see gender, just like you see, mm-hmm. like but the thing is, is like what's inside, right. You might not be able to see because mm-hmm. men and women are different in the conditioning of what they're willing to share and not share. And so there's certain things you can't know unless you ask, because I do believe that people want to express themselves a lot more, but mm-hmm. they're still scared of what it looks like. And then this, piece keeps coming on in my head so I'm just gonna say it is also in tech in tech we need uh-huh. to get rid of the meritocracy component of it because a lot of what happens is employees will just say oh I just want the best of the best and if I get the best of the best and like they're this culture fit then it's great but you defined culture by what you thought the best of the best was and the best of the best was defined by society right that's mm-hmm. that said the ideal worker is somebody who can work whenever we need him too, right? And he can work mm-hmm. this many hours and he's available at any time for like it the best of the best was based on bias anyways. Yes. So this yeah. is this is the piece where to your point about being like opening our eyes and saying, okay, if we want different lens if we want to create things for people, then we have to recognize that people, our customers, work differently. So we need different people in the mix to help us create a thing that is to serve the most amount of people. But we again, we say like, oh, well, I just, the best of the, the best of the best got there. Yes, because they worked hard and these, did these things, but privilege was involved, which means that they don't have the lens of everyone you're trying to serve. This best of the best uh, concept, uh, I think it's probably true in a lot of professions, but when I think about tech, how you rise to the top of an organization uh, hierarchically is you're good at coding or you're good at architecture or you're good at this. So you've got this great technical skill. doesn't mean you have good people skills. It doesn't mean you have good leadership skills, but because you were good at this, now you're going to be put up there. How do we, how do we help companies see that cycle and then break that cycle? So one way I just want to say, because I think it's important, um, is that these are the conversations you have, right? You're a tech leader (laughs) who sees that and people listen to you and you know that. And like kudos to you for having that conversation because I think that that's one huge piece. And then the other piece from like, if we want to get like super tactical and like some of the things that they can do in their companies, I think one is checking their performance review to make sure 
that one, it's measuring the things that they want to measure and also that it's not gender bias, right? We know that I think the number is about two thirds of women's physical appearance is talked about in a performance review and only 1% of men, men's physical appearance is talked about in a performance review. So still it's like, today? Still today, yeah. Yeah, and so these are the things right? You want to check these, understand it. And then honestly, if it's really important to you, right, you have a committee and you have metrics or manager and leaders performance reviews and evaluations and bonuses on this stuff. Because we know this in like in tech, we know this better than anything. Like what gets measured gets managed. So if this is actually truly important to you, step back, say, what do I need to measure? Okay. If I'm going to measure this, what are the things I need to put in place so that this measurement will go in the way that I want it to, and then come back and assess it every three to six months until it's chugging along. Because Mm -hmm. the, the thing I think about, like when it comes to tech is when someone puts out, like they put out an MVP, right? You put out an MVP. It's all right. It's all right. But you got to learn the bugs. You got to learn what works. You got to learn what doesn't. And then usually within, I mean, some companies within a month, right? They have a new quote unquote MVP, right? So then it's no different as you're looking to gender proof or create or put equity, gender equity in your company. You got to, you got to figure out what you're measuring, figure out what you want it to do, go put Mm -hmm. those things in place and then come back and like tweak your MVP until it's where you, you know, it's an extremely viable product um, that people are going to buy into it, buy it, et cetera. And then you can move to the next thing that you need to put in place and build from there. And when we, when we think about this, hiring is only part of the equation. This gets to what you talk about and, and others talk about inclusion, because if we're, if we're experiencing this dropout rate, then something's wrong after we hire people. What, what are you seeing through your work now and what can we as leaders do to help fix that? Jeff, I love you so much. I just, <laughs> I like, I just am so thankful for this conversation. And man, this is, this is a thing where I get really hot about because a lot of leaders in tech particularly and a lot of HR leads are like, the low-hanging fruit is hiring diversity. The low-hanging mm-hmm. fruit is hiring women and Black people and Asians, Latinas, Latinos. Like this, that's the low-hanging fruit. And I'm like, well, I don't think we, you know, what low-hanging fruit means because low-hanging fruit means <laughs> it's the easiest thing to get the most success. And if you put someone in a culture that doesn't know how to include them, has not checked their own bias about how they might be presenting, hasn't put things in place. You're going to lose that person nowadays so much faster than a year, right? We all used to have to stick out a year. That was like what we were told. People are like, they're out in two, three, four weeks, sometimes like two, three, four months, like they're gone. And they're going to tell their friends who probably look similar to them, Mm -hmm. right? Their experience in that organization. And then it gets harder for you to bring more diversity into your organization. So it's not the low-hanging fruit. In fact, it's kind of a, like, it's not silly because there is a place for it, but to do just diversity is inappropriate. You've got to do the inclusion component of it. And for me, I, I believe that inclusion starts with the individual, not the individual you're going to hire with you. Again, going back to uh. looking within, like you've got to check your own bias. You've got to check your own vulnerabilities. You've got to check all of this stuff 
before you go out and try to tell a whole company, do this. Because the thing about unconscious bias is it's unconscious. (laughs) You got to look at it. You got to look at it. And Mm -hmm. you got to be willing because it's uncomfortable. When you see things about yourself that perhaps you don't like, Uh you don't want to keep sitting with it. But the more you sit with it, the more you realize, oh, I don't know if I really feel that way. I think I just thought that way. And then you're able to change. But it's like not till we get it conscious that we can shift. But that's the piece. So yes, this diversity, it drives me bananas because I actually think it's hurting people, hurting companies, I should say, and people, but hurting companies in the long run because it's you're actually providing, it's really bad PR Right. If you don't have the inclusion piece at least started in your organization. When you come into a company with your new company, what what do you do? How do how do you start? What things are you helping them uncover? You talk about starting with the individual, but you're com- you're coming into an organization. So talk me through that a little bit. Sure. So there's a couple things, right? It's like a three-step process. So the first pro- step is we assess we assess both the company, so like what's going on with your processes, what's going on with your procedures. Um, are you walking your talk? You say you have this, but are people using it? We do that through conversations with HR. We do that by you know r- like ripping through <laughs> that employee <laughs> manual, having like also, also conversations with other um, individuals within the organizations. We do that. Then we do a survey, um, and we with our survey to employees, and with that survey mm-hmm. for employees. We're not just looking at workplace satisfaction, which a lot of people do. They look at employee engagement or workplace satisfaction. The thing about it, though, is that women make career decisions based on them as a person first and then as an employee second. So what does my life need? Um, This is particularly true for mothers and people who are taking care of elderly relatives, uh, which is, for the record, about 80% of your female population. So... They want to look, so they look at that before they make decisions. And so, we're, yes, we're looking at workplace satisfaction and engagement, but we're also looking at life satisfaction. We're also looking at physical health. We're also looking at stress levels, and we're looking at unconscious bias that they feel from the organization. So do you feel judged for having kids? Do you feel judged um, because you take care of someone older? Do you feel like you have to, like your coworkers just feel these certain ways about you? Or have you experienced discrimination in and of yourself? And what bias do you have for yourself? So do you feel like you have to do it all? Do you feel like you can't speak up? Do you feel like, do you feel, um, like you can't apply for a position unless you're 100% qualified, right? There's this unconscious mm-hmm. bias that we have as well as women and as people, right? And we're looking at both because like I, I was saying earlier, if you made the most equitable gender workplace on the planet and a woman doesn't address her own unconscious bias and continues to feel overwhelmed and burn herself out, she's going to leave. Now, if a woman addresses all of her unconscious bias, understands that I I can ask for what I want, I I matter, I can put myself first, I can apply for jobs, I have the potential to work, uh, you know, to advance, but the workplace doesn't fix itself, like the woman leaves too. Mm -hmm. So you have to address both the uh, individual and the employer or the organization in order to get a full view of whether or not your organization is set up to retain women. Um, so that's the first part is we survey so much more than just workplace assessment. And we also are looking at, at you from uh, uh, looking at maternity leave, family leave policies, mental health things, because it doesn't, it's not that 
I don't have any anger towards men because if it doesn't affect you, you're not going to think about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like as now a mom, I think about that stuff all the time and I know yeah. all other moms do. So like it's just a different, right, in piece. So that's mm-hmm. step one. Step two is let's analyze the data. Let's look at it. Let's find the things that really matter, things that can move the needle. And from there, let's identify what we can and can't do. Because there's certain things that women uh, are going to want in an organization that you can deliver. And there's other things that you can't. And maybe it's because it's too, like it costs too much. Maybe it's because um, your organization is too small to provide that. Maybe it's, um, maybe there's HIPAA laws in place. I, you know, you yeah, know like there's yeah. a bunch of things that could be, and once you go from there from identifying, then you, then we help implement. So like we will find what we think based on all the conversations, all the data, all the stuff that we've been taking in from both qualitative and quantitative, and we're going to make recommendations. And then we're going to ask you to to do the recommendations because I don't know how you feel about data, but I think data is only as, as helpful. Um, It's only helpful if you can use it. Yes. I'm not interested in knowing like right now, 30% of women are going to leave. Okay. That doesn't help me. Like, right, right, it, right. it doesn't help me if you don't tell me what keeps them. Yeah. So it's that's the what actions, the, the actions based on the data that, mm-hmm. that, that drive the results. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we do. And that's what we try to show folks is like, it's because a lot of people love a study and I, I love a research, like I love <laughs> research, but you've got to do something with it. And there, there are true low hanging fruit that you can implement yeah. relatively quickly um, to show that you're turning the ship so that mm-hmm. women who are on the fence of leaving or actively considering it are like, maybe I'll stay and watch this play out. Yeah. Give us an example. So um, one example could be going back to the, the and it's parents, it's moms too, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. we like, because a lot of moms identify as a primary parent, which is a whole other podcast conversation. But it's um, during spring break, fall break, and summer mm-hmm. break, like letting managers, like having managers communicate to parents, hey, we like we know that this is, uh, we know you need more flexibility. So if you didn't feel like you had it, you have it, right? Like that's, like mm-hmm. there's that. Like I'm asking maybe for, I don't know, 12, 12 weeks out of all of it to just allow them the flexibility that they need if you need people to be on site. Um, mm-hmm. This is a, very simple, even simpler. Don't have 8 a.m. meetings. Stop with the standing 8 a.m. meetings. If you have to have them, <laughs> if, it, if it's the only time, we're on multiple time zones, okay. But like a standing Monday 8 a.m. meeting, like that is the makings of a mom quitting. Because yeah. she's scrant like – She's scrambling to get the kids out to the day to daycare yep. to, to you know what I mean like to eat do all that that that's even simpler right yeah, um, yeah. and the other piece is if you don't want to train your whole organization train your managers and I say that because managers are the one who advance people so if you're telling me you have a leadership problem you're not able to get enough women up. That means the rung is broken somewhere else. And it's not mm-hmm. always in the C-suite. Sometimes it's it, – like I was talking with someone recently about this. So she's a, a, a mid-level manager. And I don't know if anyone's ever experienced this. My guess is you have. Is when you're planning a party for the office, you say, who wants to volunteer? Women's hands go up. Mm-hmm. When women's hands go up, that means they're going to spend time 
doing something that doesn't advance their career, right? Like they're mm-hmm. going to spend, while Tim, Bob, Tommy are going to spend those same hours doing things that will advance their career. And that's why I'm saying the manager training because the manager can say, oh, okay. Yep, Tina, you can do it. But you know what? I- I'm also going to, Tommy, are you, can you do this? Because I want you to do that too. And so in that way, you're yeah. not having three women, you know, not be able. That. Yeah. So, and that's why I'm saying manager because that's not, a VP is not in the meeting planning the Christmas party or planning the Thanksgiving right. party or planning Gina's birthday party, whatever it is. Yeah. I love that quote. I wrote it down. The rung is broken somewhere else. The visual on that is is so great. I, I just love that. Erica, we are running out of time. And I want to make sure that if we've missed anything that you really have on your on your heart and mind that you want to share with our audience, that I give you the chance to do that. So have we missed anything that you really want to convey today? One thing is popping up, so I'll share it. And mm-hmm. I would say a lot of people hear these conversations and they say, oh man, I see it everywhere, but not at my company. (laughs) If you're thinking that, how you started this, stop. If you're thinking that, stop and actually assess what, why you think that way and then figure out if what you're saying is true or not. Because that, women do this too. We say, man, that this industry, it is super sexist, but I haven't experienced any of it. And so because we do that, we hold women up to uh, an unfair, a lot of women up to an unfair standard as as they try to move up, right? And it's the same thing. Like if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, but my department, my my company, my, mm -mm." no, everyone has unconscious bias. everyone has unconscious gender bias. So myself included. So like step back, understand why you're saying that and see if there's anything you can do. There's any, anything that might need to be addressed in your organization. And if there is, go look at it, go look at the problem before you act on the problem. Cause that's the other thing. There's a bias of doing, don't waste years assessing the problem, but go look at it, make sure that's true and other people are feeling it and then act. I love that because that that's action we can all take. We can we can look at our companies and even if you have that feeling of oh not my company, well to get back to your love of data, where's the data that shows you not at your company, right? Go take the time to just check. I love that Erica. This has been such a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate it and we would love to have you back sometime to even go deeper on some of these topics because I think as you mentioned, it's how you move the needle. You got to have the conversation. Uh, and the more of these conversations we have, the the more we're all going to learn to move that needle. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Like I said, I just have love, I love you. I love this conversation. So I'm always available for you. And thank you again for just having me on. I This has truly been such a wonderful, wonderful half hour. I am so glad you enjoyed it. To our listeners, I know you enjoyed this conversation as well. I am without a doubt sure that it got you thinking, which is always one of the things that we love to do here on Status Go. If you have any questions or want to learn more, visit us on intervision.com. We'll have show notes that'll have contact information for Erica and, and her organization. This is Jeff Tun. Thank you very much for listening. 
You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.